The first lesson this morning comes from Exodus, Old Testament, in chapter 34, verses 19 through 35. And then we're going to flip over to the New Covenant in the New Testament of Luke 9, verses 28 through 36. All that first opens the womb is mine. All your male livestock, the firstborn cow and sheep, the firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. Or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. All the firstborn of your sons you shall redeem. No one shall appear before me empty-handed. For six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. Even in plowing time and in harvest time you shall rest. You shall observe the festival of weeks, the first fruits of wheat harvest, and the festival of ingathering at the turn of the year. Three times in the year, all your males shall appear before the Lord God, the God of Israel. For I will cast out nations before you and enlarge your brothers' borders. No one shall cover your land when you go up to appear before the Lord, your God, three times in a year. You shall not offer the blood of sacrifice with leaven, and the sacrifice of the festival of the Passover shall not be left until the morning. The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring to the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a kid in its mother's milk. The Lord said to Moses, Write these words. In accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. He was there with the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of this covenant, the Ten Commandments. Moses came down from Mount Sinai. As he came down the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant in his hand, Moses did not know the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, the skin of his face was shining, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, And Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses spoke with them. Afterwards, all the Israelites came near, and he gave them a commandment, all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, the Israelites would see the face of Moses, and the skin of his face was shining. And Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with him.
This is New Testament called the Transfiguration. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took up with Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. While he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep. But since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed, overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent. And in those days, told no one any of the things that they had seen. It's, uh, it's an emotional day, the Sunday after this special general conference. Because it's a day that we, as United Methodists, have mixed feelings about what happened at the general conference session. But then we have to be the Church of Jesus Christ. The praise team said to us as we open worship this morning, these are the days of Elijah, these are the days of Moses, And they ended by saying that we trust in Jesus. The Jesus that we expect to come, we trust in him. The bishop, our Bishop Palmer, sent us a letter to our pastors for this Sunday. He was encouraging us, or rather he is encouraging us, 
to be stronger. And um, I'll just read um, the second paragraph of the letter. He says, to us pastors and to all of us, I especially want you to know of my prayers this Sunday as you continue your important ministry among God's people and as you welcome guests into the sanctuary. Emerson once said, what I need most is someone to encourage me. Assume the yearning to be encouraged and find hope in every person as you preach, as you teach, and as you greet. As you encourage others, know that I count it a high privilege to be a Barnabas to you of the church. We all, as United Methodist, need to encourage one another. None of us have the answer, but the answer will come at God's appointed time. It breaks my heart to know that we are discounting the young generation But it lifts up my spirit to know that as a Christian, we trust in God. What we have today as the church is not a human-made organism, institution, whatever you want to call it. It is divine. And I believe that God is leading us. And at the appropriate time, We as United Methodist, and the key there is united. We as United Methodist should remain united, encouraging one another. Because God's day will come. And God's day is a day of inclusion. When everybody will believe in what we print out and in what we say, open heart, open mind, and open doors. That day is coming. Please don't, don't be discouraged for long. But as the bishop gives to us, I give to you, let us encourage one another. Because God has not spoken yet. And when he speaks, he speaks for all of us, not just for some of us. And if you believe that this morning, say amen. amen. As I was preparing the lectionary reading for this Sunday, the Sunday of Transfiguration, my focus is on a single word, the big C. And for me, this Sunday, the big C is change. 
And I didn't know what the general conference was going to do, but I was going to talk about us changing ourselves. 270, uh, I mean 2,700 years ago, the prophet Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 13, verse 23, asked this question. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then may ye also do well that are accustomed to do evil. 2,700 years ago, that question was asked. What is Jeremiah saying? Jeremiah, I believe, is saying, can a person change his or her basic nature? Can the cruel become kind, the vulgar become refined, and the coward become courageous? Can we change our basic nature? The answer is, of course, yes, we can change. We can change as individuals, as a denomination, as a church, we can change. Millions of people have experienced change in their lives. Consider for a moment the man we call the Apostle Paul. Paul, by his own admission, persecuted Jesus Christ and the early church Christians. He was zealous in his faith as a Jew. But as we know from the pages of Scripture, Paul changed. He became the great missionary for Christianity. But it was not that he simply changed one orthodoxy for another. He was changed. His heart was changed, his mind was changed, and his spirit was changed. There has probably never been in history such a change in a human life like the one that took place in the life of, of Saul, known to us today by the name of the Apostle Paul. Change, my friends, is a wondrous possibility for all of God's children. Of all God's creation, humankind seem to be the only ones who possess the quality And yes, we can change. We can change. Change takes place through desire and design. But we also need a dynamic force, a dynamic faith to change. In other words, we must be ready and we must be willing to change. But change we can. 
And indeed, as individuals and as church people known as United Methodists, we can change. George Bernard Shaw once said, life isn't about finding yourself. Life is about creating yourself. If you want to drive a change, my friends, you need to create a desire for change. And creating a desire for change is a challenge. And we have been going through this challenge for a long time. The church became United Methodist in 1964. Am I correct? Was it 1964? Now, if you know, don't tell me. Yeah, it was 68, April of 68. And since April of 68, my friends, we change from British Methodists and all other type of Methodists, from United Brethren coming together as one denomination called the United Methodist Church. Indeed, if you want to drive a change, my friends, you need to create a desire for that change. And creating a desire for change is a challenge, and that's the challenge we're going through right now. But if you have faith in God, the all-inclusive God, you know that change is possible. Say amen to that. Amen. Change is possible. The Christian himself is fundamentally a changed life. If you claim to believe in Jesus Christ, but are living just as you did before you believed in him, you need to examine whether you truly believe in him. Because as soon as you believe in Jesus Christ, you have a changed life. Your life is touched and transformed. Becoming a Christian requires turning from your sin to God. And that's what repentance is all about. But repentance is not a one-time event. It defines the lifestyle of a believer. God changes us radically at the moment of salvation by imparting in us new life. But this is followed by a lifetime of changing into the image of Jesus Christ. In other words, the Christian changes every day because every day we want to draw closer to reflect Jesus Christ, to imitate Jesus Christ, to be like Jesus Christ. It's an everyday job, my friends. It's not something you say, I've already reached there. No. Because the moment you say, I'm there, the devil says, thank you very much. I can now test you more. So it's an everyday life, my friends. We do it continuously. And this is correct, that God, that the God we serve, my friends, is in the business of changing lives. And yes, we shall be changed. We shall be one day a church that believes in accepting everyone. 
irrespective of who they are. Everyone. Paul, or Saul, as he was known before he met Christ on the Damascus Road, seemingly had a desire or a design for change. His change came because of God's desire. You and I may never experience such a dramatic adventure like the Saul did, but the same power that invaded Paul's life is available for us today because we have the same God. Because the scripture says to us, he's the God of our yesterday, of our today, and of our tomorrow. His power does not diminish. His design remains the same. His desire for us to be the people who want, he wants us to be remains the same. Because at the end of the day, what does God want from each one of us? That we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ so that the gates of heaven are open for us. Amen? Amen. The gates of heaven are open for us. So this morning I will say to us that the power to change is available. And so on this day of transfiguration, we meet Jesus, the Son of God, and we realize that at this point of his earthly ministry and mission, he was on a mountain. And the change is about to happen to Jesus. And so when you read the Gospel of Luke, the ninth chapter, you say to yourself, number one, you have a change agent. Because in this passage, the first thing you see in this change agent is divine devotion. That's what was going on. The scripture says, about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to do what? To pray. Divine devotion. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Eight days after this, Jesus had asked the disciples in Caesarea Philippi, who do people say that I am? And they've told Jesus what people have said about him. You are Moses. You are Elijah. You are John the Baptist. You are one of the prophets. And then Jesus says, it's okay for you to tell me what people are saying about me. Because that's the question I ask you. But let me bring it home a bit. Jesus said, come home a bit. He said, who do you think that I am? And Peter, our brother Peter, said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And from that moment, things change in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Because up to that moment, if you understand the gospel, Jesus was ascending. He was doing things. He was preaching and feeding and healing and raising people. He was doing things. And then Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And what did Jesus start talking about? His death. He was coming down to Jerusalem now. 
things change, my friends. Oh, it was during the divine devotion, a moment of prayer, and my challenge to us this morning as we look for that change, never give up praying. Amen? Never give up praying. Never give up challenging God. If Jesus could do it, who am I not to do it? Never give up challenging God. Secondly, this morning in the passage, we look at agent of change. And we realize there is not only a divine devotion, but there is a divine departure. Because listen to what the scripture says. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. What did they speak about? They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment in Jerusalem. I mean, they were not on the mountaintop to talk about a get-together. They were not there to talk about the next picnic. They were not there, my friends, to talk about feeding people. They were there to talk about his departure. Oh, it was the divine devotion that brought forth the divine departure. Moses and Elijah are saying to Jesus, are you ready now? And when you see Moses and Elijah with Jesus Christ, it has some significance. Because Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. Jesus, in the middle, came to fulfill both the law and the prophet. So that was a moment of fulfillment. Bringing together these two giants of the faith, the prophet and the law, Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus, and all they were saying to Jesus is, you have indeed fulfilled the law and the prophet. Let's start talking about your departure. My friends, thirdly, this morning we have the agent of change. And in every agent of change, there is a human being. And therefore, the third agent of change in this scripture is the human dilemma. Because listen to what the scriptures say. Peter and his companions were very sleepy. That's who we are. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And then the scripture tells us cunningly he did not know what he was saying. It is that human dilemma that wrecks us at times. You know, at the general conference, they were all human beings. And you see, when you have the human dilemma, the scriptures say they don't know what they are talking about. Because they're not promoting God's vision for the world. They're promoting a vision, but not God's vision for the world. So today we say to ourselves, a conference was held, a decision was made, and the decision is in front of the Judicial Council, I believe so that they can check the language so that nobody can sue us as a church, and one day it will come out, 
It will be accepted fully and it becomes the law for a period of time. But if you look closely, nothing changed. It was the law that was there before and now it will be enforced. That's the only thing I think is added. But my friends, human dilemma does not give us satisfaction all the time. I mean, we have relationships, we know that. We fight all the time. Or let me reduce it, we fight most of the time. Or let me reduce it for that we fight some of the time. As long as human beings are involved, we're not going to be satisfied. But never forget, an agent of change with his divine devotion, we need to connect with God. So that when we're talking about the departure, the departure of the old for the new, we can include God. And so, fourthly this morning in this, in this passage from Luke, the ninth chapter, while he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered him and covered them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what had happened. Twice, the cloud overshadowed. First, during his baptism. And at his baptism, what did the voice say? This is my son whom I love, my beloved. That's all. But now the son says, Peter, stop talking. Why not just listen to Jesus? That's all this, the voice was saying. Why not just listen to Jesus? And maybe that's what we need to do. You guys had the WWJ something. What would Jesus do? Maybe it's time to bring that up again. What would Jesus do? For our meditation this morning, let's conclude. God said you have to listen to Jesus. And this is what Jesus says in Matthew 11. He says, Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And today, my friends, you have a lot of United Methodists who are wearied, who are burdened, with heavy hearts. And all I can say to us at this time, on this day, is to come closer to Jesus the Christ. He's the one who says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, 
for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So this morning, Jesus is saying to you, come to me. And when you come to me, you will experience change and you will be able to wipe the slate clean. Jesus is saying to you, come to me. And when you come to me, you will begin to see that you can live a new life, take a new approach and see for yourself that change isn't as scary as you want. Come and let's change. Come to me, says Jesus. Come and let's change your scars into stars. Let's change your pain into pleasure. Let's change your sadness into gladness. And let's change your disappointment into blessing. Jesus simply says to us, come to me. And this morning, my friends, that's my challenge to each of us. The bishop is challenging us pastors to encourage one another. And I'm challenging us to do the same. If you see a United Methodist or any person who is affected by the decision of the special session of the General Conference, don't run away from that person. Amen? Don't run away from that person. I know you guys don't like to hurt people, but do it this time. Say, my pastor said I should do it. <laughs> Give them a hug. Encourage them. Let them know the church is not against them. Because what is the church? It's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is not against them. But when we have human dilemma in the midst, we get confused at times. So this morning and always, my friends, let us be encouraged. It is not the end. It is not the end. It is just something that happened on the journey. And that one day, maybe not in our lifetime, but one day, the church will be as inclusive as God wants it to be. Because guess what? In heaven, in heaven, it's going to be an inclusive crowd. It's going to be an inclusive crowd. If you are thinking that you are the only one going to be in heaven, <laughs> you will be begging God to get you out of heaven. It's going to be an inclusive crowd. Let's, let's remember that. And let's pray that God's will be done. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. To this the people of God say, Amen. Amen.